Well, good morning, everybody. Turn to your neighbor and say good morning. This is the third day of our annual mission conference, which is a highlight of our church year, and it's been incredible. And we are a, an unusual church in a lot of ways, but we, if you've noticed, we don't take up offerings. It's rare that we do that. Our people give out of conviction. They give through the offering boxes. Everybody pull out this yellow card that's in your bulletin. If you're a guest or you're new, please don't worry about this. This is for people that call this their church home. So here's what we do. At the end of this service, as hundreds of people did at the last service, we ask our home family to stand up and bring their yellow card down as an offering to the Lord and put them in one of these three yellow baskets. And uh, you'll never be contacted about it. This is not a pledge. The elders do use this to help form their budget. But there's three boxes at the top. Look at it, please. First box says, I believe in tithing. I'm in. And so this is what approximately my income will be this year. And so I put that down. The next one is I'm not quite ready to do that, but I want to get started. And the third one is how we raise money for missions. And uh, this year it will be about $400,000. If someone say bless the Lord. It's about 20, 22% of everything that comes in. So a faith promise is you ask the Lord to put extra in your hands over this next year. And as you do that, you give that to missions through your local church. And notice at the bottom. There's some boxes that I think are just as important, if not more. One, I feel like God is calling me to full-time ministry. That's a box. I want to take one of our missionaries, and I want to spend a year praying for them. That's a box. Another one is I'd like to go on a short-term mission trip, and hundreds of our people have. It's a great way to get your life changed. So at the end of the service... Please come and place yours face down. Also, you notice around the steps, we have our our catalog of all of our missionaries, our global partners. They're right here. So I want everybody to take one before you leave. This is a great tool for prayer. I want to introduce our speaker this morning, Jonathan Wilbur. Come on up, brother. Everyone say good morning, Jonathan. His lovely wife, Laura, is right here and her son. And uh, Jonathan and his wife came to church here, what, 25 years ago, maybe? Yeah, 25, yeah. And uh, at a missions conference, their heart was changed, and they ended up serving the Lord in Central Asia for 20 years. And the Lord is using this couple, this family, to touch lives all over the globe. And so stretch your hand out and let's pray for our brother. Father, we just ask for your anointing, we ask for your favor. We ask, Lord, that you'd use your servant, Jonathan, to touch all of our hearts today. Let us see what's on your heart. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Lord, put your hands out for me really quick. Just put this before you. Just good. I just want to say this. Repeat after me. Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome here. Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome here. Amen. The, um, a Hindu man once asked E. Stanley Jones, he was the great missionary statesman to India. He asked E. Stanley Jones, he said, Mr. Jones, Jesus has gotten into your blood, hasn't he? And E. Stanley Jones replied, yes, and he's raised my temperature. And so my prayer this morning is that God would raise our spiritual temperature, that we'd be able to look and see what God's doing in the world and join him in that, but it takes us to be on fire, for us to be filled with the Spirit, to obey him. And so, I just want to start this morning by looking at John chapter 4. Does everybody have their Bibles? Keeping in with what Steve does every Sunday. Hold those up. John chapter 4. It's a, it's a passage most of us know. This is where Jesus confronts the woman at the well. And so, the context here is that Jesus decides to leave Judea, and go to Galilee, taking his disciples, and he decides to take the most direct route, which goes through Samaria, 
It's about a 70-mile journey, two and a half days of walking. And normally, most Jews would decide to go all the way around Samaria. And that's about another two and a half days of walking. This is how much they despised and hated the Samaritans. And so Jesus, when I was thinking about what we see here, ready for change, this is kind of what Jesus does all the time with us. I mean, he's changing us daily, but he's also, we have change always impressed on us and we have to be ready for this. And so Jesus is now taking his disciples and ready to drop a few change bombs on them. Firstly, he's going to kind of change their whole perspective on the whole, their racial prejudice towards these other people that they didn't like. And so as he does this, he confronts the narrow-minded prejudice and shows that God's love and salvation was not just for the Jews, but it was for the Samaritans, or it was for all peoples. And so we have this context here that he does that, and then he does even more. He goes even further. He begins to talk with a woman, which again in this culture was again confronting some cultural barriers. And so we got cultural change happening. And so now on top of that, this woman had a bad reputation in the town. And so we're talking about a shame and honor culture. And here's Jesus talking with a woman that that in itself was probably not as culturally appropriate. But now he's talking with a woman with a bad reputation. And so the disciples had gone off into the town because they got hungry and they were bringing back food. And they see Jesus talking with this woman. And we know that exchange. It was a life-changing exchange between her and Jesus. So she runs off to tell everyone that she knew about this guy that Jesus has revealed himself as the Messiah. And is going to give her life-giving water that she can't get from that physical well. And so as she's running off into town, the disciples come up and they offer Jesus their food. And we get to the, what I want to start with today, which is in verse 34. And Jesus just replies to them and he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Again, when I was reflecting on this year's missions conference and being ready for change, I was drawn to this passage not only because of the way Jesus was bringing change, but also just what stood out in these verses we've just read. And three things just really jumped off the page to me. And the first one was this. It was that Jesus was empowered by doing God's will and accomplishing his work. You know, he called it his food. And a couple months ago, uh, Ryan West shared a message on calling. And I, and I think that he gave one of the most accurate definitions of calling. Um, and it kind of went like this. Calling is the customized life purpose God has ordained for you to accomplish in order for you to bring him the greatest glory and the maximum expansion of his kingdom. There's only one you out there. And you have a contribution to bring God glory and his kingdom. And I've highlighted these two things, glory and kingdom, because they're two of the three things that if you know me and you spend any amount of time with me, longer than five minutes, I'm probably going to start talking about glory, kingdom, or blessing. And these three things have just radically shaped my life as I've looked at scripture. I believe that most of us, especially this coming generation, there was a study just done on the millennials And it said that 50% of all millennials are praying and seeking answers to God. That blew me away. There is a generation that's hungry. What the culture has promised them has ended up being empty and they want something more. And they want something that's worth living and dying for. They want a purpose that's worth committing their life to. And I think that we have that in the story of the Bible and the purposes and will of God. So I believe it's our desire to know what we are called to do 
And before we we try to figure that out, this calling that we have, I think it's important to step back and ask some primary questions. And I've done a lot over 20 years speaking, engaging, and I get a lot of young people that would come up and say, you know, Jonathan, I'm really struggling to find God's will for my life. They're really seeking. They want to know what God wants for them. And I said, well, have you ever asked what God's will is? Do you know what he's doing? Do you know what he's been doing? Do you know what he's up to? Because before you can figure out what God's will is for your life, you better line it up with what he's already been doing. And most of us have got that kind of out of order. And so it's these questions, these primary questions. What is God's will? What has God been doing? What is God doing now? What is God going to do? What is his purpose? What is his work? Jesus knew this. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what is God's work? We start there. That's how we figure out. And once we know that, then we can line our, we ask ourselves, well, is what I'm doing right now, is it lining up with that? And then we say, hmm, and we make adjustments. And we align ourselves with what God's doing, what he's doing, where he's going. Because he's the, who's the main character of the Bible? God is the main character of the Bible, not us, right? And sometimes we read our Bible as though we're the main character. He also said that, he said, my father is working, and until now, I am working. And then in John 20, 21, he says, as the father sends me, so I send you. So we're not off the hook. We're part of this. We have to be involved in what he's doing. So now this is on us. It's the same things he transferred over to, to his disciples. This food, they needed to get that, embrace that, and follow into that. Where it's now on us today to discover what God's doing and line our life up with that. The Bible, this is uh, for me, let me back up here. The, um, the answers to these questions are vitally important. Because my story, your story, fits into God's story. After all, he is the main character. And, and as sometimes we th- I think we take for granted this book that we hold. is just a remarkable, miraculous narrative that's contained on the pages between Genesis and Revelation. You know, it was 1,600 years in the making, in the writing, by 40 authors on three continents in 66 books with stories, hundreds of them, and themes and topics that run through the course of it from Genesis to Revelation. Yet the miracle is, is that it still tells one story. Can you say that with me? One story. And this story is about a missionary God. The living God is a missionary God who's moving throughout history to bless and redeem a people from among all peoples on earth that culminates in an ending that we find in Revelation 5.9 and Revelation 7.9, where before the throne we see every tribe, every nation, every tongue represented, worshiping God and giving him glory. That is end game for us. That's where God's headed, and nothing's going to thwart his purposes. And if we don't join him in that, then we're off track. Everything we do, every prayer, again, I'll quote East Daily Jones. East Daily Jones said that prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. That's why when I'm praying for my needs and I'm praying for my family, I'm also praying for the Uyghurs who are in an internment camp in northwestern China, and they need the gospel taken to them. I'm praying for the Lesgi and the Ishkashimi and the Rushani and the Nuristanis because they're unengaged, they have no believers, no church, and no one planning to go to them. That's why I'm with an organization that sends people to the hardest reach places on earth to engage people with the gospel because it's worth living and dying for. And we have got to be about a part of that. I shared about missions myths on Friday night and I shared that, you know, you either go or you send people or you disobey. That's it. There's no other options. We're goers or we're senders or we're disobedient. And so that's why we've been committed. Laura and I have been sent by this church. We're so thankful for this church. For 20 years, they've committed us. They've held the rope for us. And they didn't let go as we went down and gave our lives in so many ways, our time to the peoples that we were called to serve. And so this book is just an amazing book. It's written by one story. And it just tells, like I, like I said, it tells that story of this missionary God. 
And it was this 30,000 foot view of scripture that radically altered the course of my family's life and my life. It led us to spend 20 years proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom among two unreached Muslim people groups. And it just changed everything. It changed the way I prayed. It changed the way I gave. It changed the way I thought about life. It changed the way I look at, I look at current events because I, see it, I try to see it all for where God's going and what his purposes are. And then I try to line my life up with that. And so I think in order for us to get answers to these questions, we have to first do what Jesus did, talk to his disciples in John here. He tells them to look up. He says, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are white for harvest. Now try to picture yourself there. This woman has just run off into her town and told everybody about this guy. You've got to meet this guy. It's amazing. He told me everything about me. And so the disciples are over there, pretty clueless, trying to offer Jesus food. And Jesus, hey, hey guys, look up. And the whole town is coming out up this road. And he says, look, the fields are white for harvest. What do you mean, those people? Yeah, those people. And so they made this connection in that moment. And Jesus did this over and over and over again throughout his ministry, where as he was called to the Jews, And then he would steer off and do something among the Gentiles. And then he'd go back and he just traverses the whole New Testament, showing people from the beginning that it says in in the Old Testament that he was to be a light to the Gentiles. Radically radically altering the change in the minds of those that were following him. And so as we need to look up and get new perspective, I want to give you an analogy. When I was, how many of you ever done rock climbing? I don't know if you like, I don't know if, no hands, nobody's, okay. I was, I was in, in college, man. I, just, I used to go down to this gym climb time with my roommate and we'd go there weekly and we'd climb and we just love doing this. But there's something about rock climbing that when you're up on this 40 foot wall and thankfully I, you know, I had to use ropes because I wasn't that good, but I've watched these guys do this that don't use ropes and they're on this face. But when you're in the middle, you're so close, you, you kind of forget where you're at. And, I, and I, it, would you agree with me that it's probably better to be looking up than down? Um, and and, and I, so Mike and I, my roommate, we start watching these guys that were really good and girls too that were just unbelievable. And we watch these guys that would do these, these walls in the gym and then they sometimes go up almost at a, at, a, at a horizontal. They're hanging there, some of them without ropes, and it's amazing. But when they would do that, they would always stand back and they'd, they'd look at the wall. They were getting a perspective. Because they knew that once they were up in that wall, everything looks different when you're face into the rock or face into that wall with those rocks you're hanging onto. Everything changes. And so they're imprinting in their mind the destination. And some of these guys are so good that they're calculating in their head. They're going, and they were color-coded in the gym, so you knew which rocks. And so they, they were by hardness or difficulty level. And so as they're doing this, they're going, if my left foot isn't on that place there, my right hand's not there, then it's over and I'm falling. I mean, it was that accurate. And it was almost like chess in their mind. They're mapping that out to figure out where they needed to go. And there's like a bell up there you ring when you hit your destination. And I thought, wow, if that's not like how we are with the Bible. So many of us are so close to the pixels, we don't see the picture anymore. You know, Steve did three lessons on Romans 8.38, I believe it was. And and that was just awesome. That's what we're supposed to do is study the word and understand it. But man, we've got to zoom out every now and then and fit that verse in the context of the bigger picture. What does it mean? What do these things mean? And and the reason is that when we don't do that, we tend to avoid verses we're uncomfortable with. Like, you know, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take courage, I've overcome the world. Or all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't see those, and we can't see those in the context of what they mean unless we zoom out and get the whole picture. And so, work. there we are, up face, too close to the pixels, and so it's good to have our destination in mind and to know. And so we look at this in the Bible, if we know where God's going, it helps us sort out where we are in the present time with our own battles, and our own issues that we're facing. And we can kind of make sense of that in the light of the trajectory that we're on. So I want you to imagine that you were confronted by someone in an elevator that's just been at some conference and 
they come into this elevator and you're, you're standing there and they say, hey, um, you know, I was in my hotel room and the Gideons, well, there's a table out there, you can check them out, have left a Bible in the hotel room. And I, and I pulled this out, was kind of just wanting to read it. And I started in Leviticus and I'm clueless. And now, hey, by the way, are you a Christian? And, and, and you say, well, yeah, I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and, and they say, can you just tell me what's this book all about? I don't get it. Could you do that? Could you sum up the entire Bible in one sentence? You've got 30 seconds. I ask this question to pastors whenever I go speak or whatever, and I just like to throw it around. Because pastors are doing a great job at giving us the details. They're preaching from the verses and the scriptures of the Bible, but they don't zoom out very often and connect with the bigger picture of what God's doing, where it's all headed. And so you can fumble around, well, Jesus, salvation, and we got, you know, we got all these buzzwords. Well, I'd like to throw a few examples out to you. This one is um, Chris Wright. Chris Wright said, the biblical narrative is summarized like this. The whole Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people in their engagement with God's world for the sake of the whole creation. Now again, this is the 30,000 foot view. This is the 15, 10 second answer for the, the whole Bible is talking about. Another writer says it this way. It's about redemption. God's love for the human race, God redeeming man, bringing man back to himself after man had rebelled against God. Now here's mine. What is the Bible all about? It's about the establishment of God's kingdom through God's Savior, that's Jesus, for God's glory, by blessing all peoples, through the obedience of faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my one summary, 30,000 foot view of the Bible. And I want to unpack these three things, kingdom, glory, and blessing, because I believe that there are, these are three thematic trajectories that run through the whole Bible. And there's lots of themes, like I said, and there's lots of topics. But when we zoom out at 30,000 feet, and it's like looking out at the plane, you know, it's like the when you're, when you're traveling somewhere and you get to look down and kind of see your, your city there as, you, as you're taking off. Everything looks different. All these little square patches of green and it's kind of cool to look at. You get a whole different perspective. And when you zoom over the narrative of the Bible, these things stand out. Like just clearly. It's like they're written across the Bible. Kingdom, glory, and blessing. And so I want to talk about those three things briefly. First of all... Um, Kingdom and glory and blessing are, are they're, they're trajectories. They're actually going someplace. And the kingdom is, is coming against evil. This is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. This is the, the, the prince of this world, the God of this age, little G, is against the, the almighty God creator. And there's been a struggle since the fall. And, there's, and we're at war between these two. There's a battle that fights for the salvation of all the peoples. And so the kingdom is about coming against evil and destroying evil and winning the day, the kingdom of God. Glory is all about him, right? It's all about God. It goes up if you want to think about a direction, but it's toward God. Everything we do is for him. And then lastly, the blessing is for people. We are blessed to be a blessing. This is the good news, a blessing that runs through the whole Bible. And so as we go through these, the first thing is kingdom, and it's defined as God's rule and his reign. He's the king, and he has a kingdom, and he's invited us into that kingdom. I love the message of the kingdom because I, I, I talk about inviting Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, animists, whoever, into the kingdom. They're all invited. Even Christians are invited into the kingdom. Seriously, there's a lot of non-regenerate, not-born-again, cultural Christians that need to come into the kingdom. I don't care what you call yourself. I've got Muslim followers of Jesus. That's how they identify themselves, that are in the kingdom. Messianic Jews, we get hung up on names. But are you in the kingdom? Are you following Jesus, the king, as your Lord and Savior? We've got to think bigger. It's a bigger scope to invite people into that. And there's a message for every single person on this planet in the kingdom of God. I've got good news for you because the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And that's why Jesus preached and he proclaimed and he did the works of the kingdom. And not only that, but he bore the wounds of the kingdom when he went to the cross and died for us. Paul said the same thing. Paul said, I'm storing up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. See, Paul had apostolic credentials. If you didn't believe Paul when he spoke the words, and you didn't believe Paul when he did the works, because the kingdom comes in power, not necessarily in talk. The dead rise, the sick are healed, cancer vanishes in the name of Jesus. The depressed are set free, the captives are loosed, there's victory. It's the kingdom of God now on earth, and it's still, it's like already and not yet. But the battle's been won. The, the final battle, it's kind of like described this in terms of World War II, where we had D-Day and V-Day. The D-Day was the decisive battle that won the war. But there was more people were killed and hurt during those two years prior to Victory Day. And that's where we live in the church age. We're here fighting against the kingdom of darkness, and it takes its toll. And martyrs are laying down their life in higher numbers than ever before. Because it's a battle, but the battle, the final battle, the war has been won by Christ when he came and proclaimed the kingdom. We're also commanded. We're commanded to, I can't read that actually, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness will be added unto us, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So it's a command to seek first the kingdom. That's above all things else. We're to seek the kingdom. Secondly, Jesus taught us to pray. How are we supposed to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means now. The kingdom is broken forth now in us. Pray this before you do anything. I talked about this on Friday night, but pray this prayer before you go out shopping, before you go to Walmart or Kroger or whatever. And man, I, I, I'll be honest, I pray it most of the time because I know God will show up and answer that prayer. Because I'll walk in and all of a sudden I will see something that's not, uh, it's not right. It's not, it, there is no depression in heaven. There isn't you know, sickness in heaven. There's, and, and you encounter people in these places where you say, you know what? On earth as it is in heaven. And we're the the bearers of the kingdom to bring the gospel of the kingdom to people around us. And so there's breakthrough when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. My brother was saying this, every day, everywhere, there's a place for us to have the breakthrough of the kingdom in our lives. When is the end coming? A lot of people get talking, they talk about end times, and, 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 and it's a great study of that. But again, it's a danger of getting so close to the pixels, we miss the picture. And people just get wrapped up in that to almost an unhealthy degree. And it's all they can take, talk about. And it, to me, it just generates fear. And we start talking about all these things. You know when the end's coming? Here's when the end's coming. It's when the gospel of the kingdom has been preached as a testimony to all nations. That's ethne. In, in uh, Greek, it's the pantata ethne, the ethnic groups, all the peoples that are out there. It'll be preached as a, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Is Jesus coming back tomorrow? Now, he can, but according to this verse, I'm pretty sure, because I know of hundreds upon hundreds of unengaged people groups out there that have yet to hear the gospel of the kingdom. And when I say unengaged, I mean a group of people that has never had no believers, nothing, not even people planning to go to them. It's one reason I represent the organization I do, is we're trying to act on behalf and call people. Some of you are called to go to the unengaged and to make that happen and accomplish God's purposes here to make sure they get a chance, an opportunity to hear the gospel of the kingdom. When Jesus does a seminar, what do you think his topic is? 40-day seminar, that's a big one. Well, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Again, I'm highlighting this to show you this thematic theme that runs through scripture that is so, so important. Again, E. Stanley Jones, another quote, he said, the least preached thing in the church today is, an, is, is preaching on the kingdom of God. 
and the understanding of the kingdom of God. So many people are kind of thinking the kingdom of God is something that we're, we're, we're going to get later, like when we die and go to heaven, instead of it being now. The kingdom of God is here. It's already and not yet, and we operate in that. Now let's talk about glory. So we know it's all about God. It's for his glory and not ours. And what about this? For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Jesus isn't about sharing his glory. It's not about me. Never was, never will be. And if he gets glory through my life or through my death, he still gets all the glory. And we've got to resign ourselves to that because a lot of people in the world today are trying to live to make a name for themselves. It's what we see in this this generation of social media with influencers and the whole deal. Everybody's trying to make, they've lost their identity and they don't know who they are. And we only find that in Christ Jesus. And we only find our purposes in what God has been doing in the world today. If the gospel and the narrative of scripture is true, then it's transcultural and it's a story everybody can fit their life into for our lives to make sense. Whoops. Look at, I just want you to have a look at this. So you can see how glory is often connected with peoples and nations. I'll declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and worthy of praise and on and on. Glory, nations, nations, peoples. This, when you zoom up over the Bible, this is what just leaps off the pages. This heart of God for all nations, all peoples. It's constant. It's over and over and over again. Psalm 46.10. This is the, a verse that just devastated me. It changed my life. I was taking a course called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. There's a table out there in the foyer. I encourage you to sign up and take that course. But the first lesson, the speaker stood here like I'm about to do now, and he said, Psalm 4610, be still. And then he goes, yeah, that's great. What's the rest of the verse? I'm hearing it. Come on. That's right. All 40 of us just sat there and went, well, what do you mean? And we all reached for our Bibles and we lifted it up. And as my sister just said, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted or glorified in the earth. Psalm 46a is the bumper sticker version of what I talk about being so close to the pixels, we don't see the picture. When we used to have Christian bookstores, it, it was sold. Many of us probably have that verse hanging in their, our house. And it's so true. Be still and know that I am God. But I realized when he said that, I'd only been reading half my Bible most of my Christian life. I'd only been a Christian for five years. And we went back for three and a half hours as he, just like a fire hydrant, went through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and all the places I'd highlighted. Right before it or right after it, there was this, so that, therefore, you were blessed and then you're to be a blessing. Or, we have blessing and responsibility with that blessing. And I was just like, wow. I'd even, I'd even crossed out, for God so loved Jonathan that he gave, you know, that whole verse, right? John three sixteen, which was right, and it's true. But there it was crossed out, and I didn't even see world anymore. Because he loves all peoples. And, what, and my brother just shared with me, what is one soul worth? What is one soul worth? Man, it just, I, 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 was, I, was, I was changed and I got up from that, that, that day in 1998 and I knew I'd never be the same. My giving changed, my praying changed, everything changed. A world map went out on my desk and I just said, everything I have is yours, God. Everything I am is yours for your glory and your purposes. I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Anything you want, I'll stay here if you want me to stay here. Bless me so I can bless others. And, and I, I, made, I just made just decision after decision. Where do you want us to live, Lord? How do we, we buy a house? Where, are gonna we, where can we live in such a place that's going to give you the greatest glory and maximize your kingdom come? Can we live downtown in a, maybe a different, safer area where my roommate lived? He made a decision right out of college to move downtown into Lexington because he wanted to be the kingdom come amongst peoples that no one wants to live there. It's not safe. We were never promised a safe life. 
God will accomplish his purposes and he is very, your comfort, your safety is not his top priority. Ever. He will accomplish his purposes. He's in the heavens. He will do as he pleases. We've got to come back to it. Understanding the sovereignty of God and his love for all peoples. Blessing. This is the kind of the beginning of the story of the whole Bible. The introduction talks about the fall, you know, the creation of the world, and then we have the flood, and the fall, and then we have the flood. But then the introduction is when God calls out a guy named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless those that bless you, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is where the story of the Bible starts. And he repeats that to Isaac, he repeats that to Jacob, and he takes it all the way through the story of the Bible his blessing to bless all nations. Israel was placed at the center of the nations to be a blessing to all the nations around them. Did they do a good job of that? No, they disobeyed over and over and over again. And so God, because he loves the Assyrians, he loves the Babylonians, he loves the Egyptians, was constantly sending people to them as conquerors, hauling them off into slavery. Maybe... You know, that's something to think about. We like to look, we always really concentrate on like the, the heroes of the Bible, the ones, you know, that did, but we don't really concentrate on the normal people in the Bible, the ones that spent their entire life in slavery. I'm, I'm not a Moses and I'm not a Paul, but maybe, you know, we need to think about God's agenda is a little bit more important than my agenda. And so... We are blessed to be a blessing, and that includes across the street and around the world to all peoples, unengaged, unreached. And then Psalm 67, may God, you've heard this prayed over like benedictions, right? May God be gracious to us, cause his face to shine upon us. But then what happens? That your ways, that's one of those little conditional verses. Why does God want to bless us? Why does God cause his face to shine upon me? So that I that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all, over and over, how many times do we have to have it drummed into our head before it becomes something that we take seriously? What's the gospel? This was another just devastating verse for me. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Here we go. What do you think he said to Abraham? All nations, peoples, will be blessed through you. That's the message I brought to the nations for 20 years. I'm here to be a blessing. I'm bringing the blessing of Abraham to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. But we have a great message, and it's a message of blessing that comes to bless all peoples and all nations. Whoops. Isaiah 46.10. I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purposes will stand, and I will do all that I please. Right there, God's telling us. You want to understand the Bible? He makes known the end of it from the beginning of it. And God's on a mission. God's doing something. His will, his work. My father's always at work. I want to join him in that work. What's he doing? What's he doing? What's his work? Where's he going? What's he been doing? And then we come to the end of the grand narrative of the Bible. The, the, the bell ringing as we call it the rock wall. What's it look like? Revelation 5.9, Revelation 7.9, where every tribe, language, and people are standing before the throne. Did you know that God's keeping track of this? I think it's in Psalm 86, but there's a book. There's actually probably a library in heaven because there's the Lamb's Book of Life, right? I hope your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But there's also a book called the Register of the Peoples. It says, I will record Rahab, that's Egypt, That will say of this one, this people group, and this people group, they were born in Zion. This is Old Testament. God was keeping track of the nations. He's keeping track of all the people groups. It matters that there is no church among the Avar people in Georgia. 
and that name is not written in the register of the peoples yet. And we just sent out a team to work amongst the Ansuk Avar, first groundbreaking team, and it's tough, tough ground. And we're praying for the Avar to have their names written in the register of the peoples. I'm sure that every now and then Abraham sneaks into God's library and he, he opens up that book and he starts looking through to find, when is this going to happen, Lord? You made a promise to me that all nations would be blessed. When's the last one get written in there? That's on us, folks. And thankfully, God's much greater and powerful and works through our weaknesses that he's going to accomplish it with or without us. But the joy is we get to play. We get to have fun. Why? That's what he's invited us into is the joy of partnering with him in his mission and in his work. And so today, the last point I want to make about this verse is that others have been hard at work and we get to reap what they have sown. My wife shared um, yesterday, man, it was powerful. She talked about the persecuted church and she talked about a divine legacy, a divine lineage. Thank you, honey. And, um, and that the reason we're sitting here today, the reason you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and for most of us, it didn't cost us anything. Some of us, it did. But someone paid the price. Somewhere, someone prayed the price or suffered or gave their life so that the gospel could be given to me. And we have got to be able to stand and think about that, that what a treasure it is, that I, well, one that I was born here, one that I had access to the gospel when so many don't. But somewhere, someone paid the price so that the generations that follow or the ones that have come before me have have had the gospel. And so they had sown and sown. Some sowed in tears and some sowed with their blood so that we now can reap. And if you'll let me, I'd like to share some just some really cool stories or just facts of what God is doing in the world today where we're now reaping what others have sown. One thing that's happening that's just, just unbelievable in the last about 10, 15 years is this thing called discipleship-making movements. It's disciples that make disciples that make disciples, and it's just this unbelievably rapid church growth. And we're seeing this explode around the world. And so the story of God's glory is that since March of 2005, the Lord has used discipleship-making movements to catalyze 87,493 new churches with 1.9 million new disciples. Come on, give God a shout for that. Many from places that the gospel has not even been, been heard before for over a century. During 2020 alone, God has used this process to plant 8,764 new churches, 100, almost 160,000 new women and men becoming Christ followers. That's, that's 24 churches a day. And I, and I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, the whole the church is declining. It is in some places, but it's exploding in other places. When we zoom out, we get a different perspective of what God's doing in the world today. Some of the worst horrors, war, tragedy, difficulty has given way to the greatest harvest. My passion is Muslims. I love Muslims. I was born to just sit and drink tea with Muslims. They say the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born again and the day you find out why. I know why. I was created to sit for hours and just drink lots of tea with Muslims and tell them about the gospel of the kingdom and Jesus and see breakthrough. It's what I've done for 20 years. It's just, it's, it's, I don't know, I've just, that's why I was wired. God, and there's only one me. That may not be your thing. But man, I feel God. When Eric Lytle talked about running and he described it, I feel God's pleasure when I do that. When I'm sitting, I just feel God's pleasure all over me. It's just what I was made to do. It's my customized purpose that I've stepped into that aligns with God's purposes. And I'm praying that you find yours if you haven't already. But what God has been doing in Muslim, when Laura and I went out in 2001, we were, we were literally one in a million. There was only one worker for every one million Muslims. 
That used to be the slogan. We had a brochure. It said, one in a million. That's how we got people motivated and mobilized to go to the Muslim world. And so now that's changed. After 20 years, we're, we're like one in 250, 300,000. It's still not good enough. It's still not good enough. So I'm calling. Some of you out there, God is stirring in your hearts. I know, I know he is. And he's been calling you for a long time to go, to give your, your life to something that's worth living and dying for. There were only five movements of Muslims to Christ prior to the 20th century. So look at this. In 1800, we got zero. 1900, there were two. 2013. Then we go up to uh, 82 in 2013. 117. 301. And now today, or not today, this isn't as current. 450. This is what God's doing. That's huge. That's something to be excited about. This is exponential growth. In the 80s, you could find it, hardly find someone that had even led a Muslim to Christ. The idea of planting a church in the Muslim world was unheard of. We went, labored 20 years, and saw three you know, fellowships of Muslim background believers. And then now we're seeing things explode. And I tell you where most of it has, has, has come from. It's when people start to align their lives and their purposes with God's purposes, and they get serious about sending or going because it's either sending, going, or disobeying. But when you get radical about it, it changes your prayers. And so people started praying. 23 years ago, a small band of Christians began praying for Muslims during the Islamic month of Ramadan. That's the month that they fast, 30 days, and they're asking God to speak to them. And today, the 30 days prayer movement counts hundreds of thousands of faithful Christian prayer warriors who cry out to God on behalf of Islam's 1.7 billion adherents, asking God to reveal them his truth. Is it a coincidence that 82% of all those movements I just showed you started 23 years ago? People started praying. They started actually getting serious about what's serious for God and aligning their prayers with his purposes. I was on a prayer team this last uh, Ramadan. Six or seven of us, 6 a.m. in the morning, Zoom call, praying for the Muslim world. If you don't get this next year, the 30 Days of Prayer Guide, I'm challenging you. I'm inviting you to join us in that. Let's get hundreds of people in Lexington praying. Because guess what? They're coming here. 60,000 Afghans just arrived on our soil. I was at a, a, a base in Virginia for three weeks. 7,000 Afghans were there while I was there with two or 3,000 more arriving. I got to spend three weeks just hanging out with Muslims. Didn't have a lot of tea, but uh, I got to hang out and share. And uh, oh, it was just unbelievable. And they're open and they're hungry and they're asking all sorts of questions. And, we, and I was just last week in Midway, Kentucky with a family of nine that just arrived. And they're coming into Lexington in three days. They're finding them homes here. And our church is going to be about serving them. Talk with me if you want to be a part of that. Get out to be a blessing to the nations. Let the first people they meet be radical lovers of Jesus that love them and love the kingdom and will bless them. Not the hate that we have in this country. Let's be the kingdom. Let's be the church. The fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran. Who would have thought of that? I sat between two Iranian pastors a couple years ago when I was in Tbilisi, Georgia. And these guys were, you know, they're, they're next to me on right side, left side. And they, and they kind of leaned over and one said, you know, hey, uh, he said, you know, I can't remember his name. We'll call him, uh, yeah. Okay, my wife's saying, no names. I forget I'm live streamed. And this brother says, hey man, uh, how big was your prison cell? And the other guy goes, well, you know, mine was about two meters by two and a half meters. And, and then that guy asked him, so how big was yours? And he goes, well, mine was about one meter by one and a half. And the other guy laughed. He goes, well, you know what? Yours is bigger. So you really haven't suffered for Christ. And then they both put their arms around me and they leaned in. They said, so Jonathan, have you ever been arrested for, you know, for Jesus, you know, proclaiming Jesus' name? And, they, and I said, oh, no, no, not really. And they go, well, that's okay. One day you'll be godly enough to, to suffer for Christ. <laughs> and then in all seriousness, they said, you know, Jonathan, for us, it wasn't, it wasn't if we got arrested. It was when. In fact, that's our credentials. When someone says they follow Jesus, that's the first question we ask. How have you suffered for him? Because if you haven't, you're not the real deal. And we don't know if we can trust you. Because you might be a spy or a reporter. 
wasn't if, but when, committed. Just committed. Today, there's a growing church in Afghanistan that didn't exist 30 years ago. There's an there's a emerging movement amongst the Hazara people in Afghanistan. They're under incredible suffering right now. God's doing an amazing thing there. I don't know what he's doing, but I know it's going to align with his purposes. But boy, after September 11th, that's when things changed in Afghanistan. We had to lose a lot of lives. And again, I'll say it, God is not concerned with our safety or our comfort. He will accomplish his purposes because after September 11th, more people had their eyes turned to Afghanistan and more prayer started for that country than has ever been collected before in history. And there's breakthrough there now. So we're going to reap where others have sown. And some of them have offered their bodies as living sacrifices so that you and I could reap what they have sown. It's a, it's a, it's a, I, I don't even know, it's, an, it's a, a holy privilege. I mean, wow. And if I don't walk through that door, the Apostle Paul said it this way, a wide door of effective service has been opened to me, but there are many adversaries, which is true. And he said, my life is going to be poured out as a drink offering. In conclusion, I just want to pray this over you. Lord, I pray that we will respond and say with Jesus that our food is to do the will of him who sent us and accomplish his work here on earth by looking up, seeing that the fields are white for harvest, and then go across the street and around the world to proclaim the kingdom and be a blessing and doing it all for his glory, your glory, Father. Will you do that this year? Will you give more than you've given? Will you pray extraordinarily? Extraordinary prayer is just adding, if you pray 10 minutes a day, add a minute. It just became extraordinary Don't try to eat the whole elephant at one bowl. Just do more than you've done. Commit more of your resources. Align yourself with what God is calling you to do. Some of you need to go. Some of you need to check out those tables out there. And as you fill out these cards, pray that, pray that. I want to align myself with God's purposes. Amen? Thank you. Steve, if you want to come on up, man. Pray your heart was touched today and over the weekend. God uses ordinary people just like you and I. As we have our final time of worship, our time of response, three things I'd like to offer to you. One is that you would come forward. Now, again, if you're a guest or you're new, don't worry about this. But if this is your home church, this is what we do. As an act of worship, bring your yellow card forward. Respond to how whatever he says to you. Place it face down in the basket. We'll also ask you to just come to the altar. Come and kneel. When your knees go down, your heart flies open. Come and humble yourself and and just yield yourself. Offer yourself. Let him do what he wants to do in your life. Don't resist him. Just say yes and take the next step. Uh, Last week, the board voted to throw in another $45,000 out of our budget to missions, which will get us to about 22%. We're grateful. I want to see that percentage keep going up so there's more people that get a chance to hear the gospel. Out in the foyer, there's a lot of our global servants out there. If you've never been on a short-term trip, I went on my first one 
35 years ago, changed my life, and I've been going ever since. There's a group called Go International. Just say, I want to go on a trip. There's a bunch of them next year. They will contact you. But maybe God is stirring you to give yourself to a career in missions. There's another group called Cornerstone out there where it will take you, help you take the first couple of steps to do that, no matter how old you are. The last one is you come to the altar. Pick up one of our little catalogs where all our people are serving. It tells you their story, tells you how you can contact them, and it, choose at least one of them that you're going to pray for on a regular basis all year. Lord, we just thank you that our lives, our life is like a seed that we sow into the ground. And as we sow and die to ourself, the crop and the harvest will come later. So Lord, all of us in this church family, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you. So Lord, give your people faith as they respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come forward now. Find a place at the altar. Place your yellow cards in the basket. And let the Lord help you today. is a living sacrifice to him tell him yes tell him you'll do whatever he asks you to do give your years your heart your gifts to him and let him multiply given your heart to Christ or you've been a backslider and you've been away from the Lord, why don't you come home? Why don't you receive him today and make Jesus the king of your life? Come right over here. One of the pastors will help you make that decision.
someone say amen our lives are not for ourselves and what we do today is not for today it's for 20 years down the road so father bless your people today may we be sowers may we be harvesters may we not get weary doing good lord may we share the gospel may we be quick to pray 
build our faith. And Lord, may we be still enough every day to hear your voice. Lord, we claim the nations of this earth are the nations of your beloved Son. So Lord, use us today in Jesus' name. If you need someone to pray with or talk to, there's people on both sides that will pray with you. Slip out quietly. Serve the Lord. Pick up your children. God bless you.